You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello. Danny, how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Gotta say. I, I'm going to say one of your hobbies is watching movies. So, yeah, so yeah, that's my fourth favorite thing. To do. <laughs> so, uh, have, you, have you caught anything interesting lately? I caught up with the box office smash... Aladdin, because I was dog sitting uh, people who had good TV channels. So it was a Sky premiere, Aladdin. Oh, yeah. Uh, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. His stamps all over it. Anyone could have directed this movie. It's one of the curious things about Aladdin. You know, Guy Ritchie is known as a sort of hyper stylist, uh, but this is like real, like, feels like it was all directed by second assistant directors and he just sort of turned up and did the credit at the end oh really don't really feel his presence very much it doesn't have like loads of like lad banter or something like yeah i thought it was going to be like lock stock aladdin he's like you know he's a cheeky chappy yeah yeah dude running, don't be like no, king of legend of the sword because which feels like that's why he was hired you know he made like a fantasy epic yeah exactly which is about like a cheeky guy who steals things yeah so <laughs> all his films are about cheeky guys who steal things <laughs> yeah so you know perfect foil for the character no it's it's very like boring i don't know it's it's as good as a unimaginative like retread of the animation so it has a certain amount of charm just because that original film is very well put together so even the laziest redo of it has a certain amount of residualness i don't know yeah 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 sure the big surprise to me was like will smith can't sing uh he has to he's the genie right so it's very like auto-tuned his version of arabian nights is like really like they should have just done it like in old school musicals and got someone who sounds like Will Smith's speaking voice you can sing to do those bits. Um, but I would say I developed a theory. I would say this. I would say I developed a theory. I'll tell you why I'll say this. Because I've developed a theory <laughs> okay. about Will Smith. Because his later career has been a bit lackluster, right? He's not. He's had a series of bombs. Like Gemini Man, Collateral Beauty, Suicide Squad made money, but it was the worst reviewed film that year. Uh, Men in Black Free... Uh, bright you know these are all these are all uh, stinkers total pantyhose uh-huh. and aladdin did really well right it made a lot of money and then you know why it's because he sings in it every time will smith <laughs> has a promotional single with a movie is a hit that's a good that is a good theory so he, this is so the first time this is the first time he, he didn't do a deadpool song it wasn't oh, a Deadpool. Wait, sorry. <laughs> he didn't even do a Deadpool song. What was this character called? Dead Shot. Dead Shot. He didn't do a Dead Shot song or like a, you know, I don't know, After Earth song. There was no Men in Black, uh, Men in Black 3 song. There was no Men in Black 3 song. You know, he produced two bangers for the first and second movie. And the only problem with the third movie, as far as I could understand, the reason it wasn't connecting with audiences, was there was no tie-in single. So I think basically he's got to just go back to releasing songs where he's like really cool when the lyrics about how he's a badass dude 
and there's some rapping and there's a bit in the video where it stops and a bit of like plot in the music video happens and then the music kicks back in. So does his version feel like a Will Smith song? Is it a kind of Will Smithified? Yeah, like... You know, Friend Like Me? Yeah, Friend Like Me. It's got a bit of rapping in it. Yeah. And it's got a bit of like beatboxing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think he kind of gets away with it because that's, you know, they're impossibly huge shoes to fill, Robin Williams. And like that song in particular has him doing like loads of voices within the song. And like he does it a bit, but not, you know, I think he kind of treads the line quite well. Who does Will Smith, who, what voices does Will Smith do? No, he doesn't <laughs> do like the impressions, but in that song, it's like, uh, Mr. Aladdin, sir, do, do, yeah. do, do, and it's like, does like a waiter voice. It's like, let me take your order, put them down. Ah, like a French okay. voice. So he does a few funny voices. Yeah, which is kind of what, just copying Robin Williams. I don't think Alan Menken wrote down, this must be sung in a French accent or whatever. Yeah. Also, another problem with the film, sorry if I'm rambling, no, no. is Jafar, instead of being like a sort of classic, I don't know who voiced him, but he's a real like Jeremy Irons, old British dude. He's very creepy and sort of regal. Mm. It's not like a sort of a young, intense dude. He's like, it's like he's just some like, oh, like this kind of crack addict searching for a fix. He just loves power so much. He's a bit sweating and like, it's not like, that, nah, that's no, that's not no, funny. No. There's something funny about a young man searching for power. Old men who are a bit past it and like a bit shat on. Also, the parrot is not funny because it's not doesn't talk all the time. Because it's not talking, <laughs> and it doesn't have the voice of Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, I think this is like a huge pitfall of, of remakes generally. Yeah, that uh, if they don't change anything, they seem unimaginative, and if they do change something, then they just open themselves up to unflattering comparisons. You know what they should have done? They should have leaned heavily into, you know, he's got a he's that song, you know. Uh, you know, only steal what I can't afford. That's everything. You know, I think really delve into the problems. You know, he's a poor guy, becomes rich, but the people are still poor, but they love him because he's so generous. I think he becomes... More class politics. Yeah, more class politics. He mm. can't marry her because he's not a princess. He's not a princess and she has to marry a princess. <laughs> She's got to marry a princess. <laughs> I think, you know... Some gender politics some in gender it as politics. well. Some gender politics. Throw some of that in. You know, really like, just load it up with like <laughs> as many different angles. I don't care if they contradict each other, but just like a complete clusterfuck of like, like opposing like messages. Like, yeah. Messages, symbolism. Really political. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say like the, the, the tone is similar to the, the cartoon? Does it, does it, does it translate like Disney cartoon adventure tone into live action adventure? Uh, Ish, it definitely attempts to, but it's just musicals are hard to do. Like, why are people singing is weird. Yeah. And like, when it's a cartoon, <laughs> you just buy it much more than when it's a live action thing. And it's like less, it's less, uh, it's less efficient at just like, in, like making you bind to the world where people burst into song. It's more like it's a straight drama and then they start singing. And it's like, what? Oh yeah, it's a musical. Right. You know, yeah. It's not, Cause yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. quite a musical, Aladdin. You know, it's got a lot of songs. It's, it feels more like a straightforward adventure movie with songs and a, it's not really, does that make sense? Like, yeah, I think in a, in a previous era, before they were doing this, um, uh, like these kinds of incredibly faithful remakes, including all the songs and stuff, they would the live action remake of Aladdin would not have had songs. Yeah, I feel like they were doing this ten years ago. They would just make it as a kind of adventure film. Yeah, you know, because the format doesn't suit the material as much. But because it's so everything is so nostalgia driven, it has to remind you of the of the cartoon. It's like when you watch it as a child, when you have a child's mind and everything is cartoonish, you want to watch it as an adult when you have an adult's mind and everything is really, you know, because you're in the real world now. Yeah. I think that's the idea. I'm a big boy. You're a big boy. Watch big boy film for big boys. <laughs> and then they're going to do another remake when the uh, audience in the 90s is like really old and it's going to be some kind of like kitchen sink drama <laughs> or something. 
Yes. Yeah, your, your imagination's shriveled up and uh, you have no capacity for anything that's not directly in front of you. So. Yeah, it's going to be like 45 years, but with like Jasmine and Aladdin. It's going to be like Last of the Summer Wine. Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sounds I'd, I'd watch good. it. Sam, well, we're not discussing the merits and the pitfalls of readapting uh, Disney cartoons into live-action films. What is this podcast about? Let me tell you, everything else in the podcast relates to China in 1938. Communist rebels are on the rise and Imperial Japan is intent on expanding its rule into Manchuria and China. At this time, Lord Wu uh, is a feudal leader who rules both his community and his family with an iron fist. But his wife, Madame Wu, has just turned 14 and has grown weary of her husband's dominance. With her son Feng Mo, now 18 and engaged to be married, Madame Wu sees her responsibilities to her family all but complete. So in violation of traditional custom, she arranges for Chu Ming, a peasant girl just turned 18, to be brought into the household as Lord Wu's concubine, freeing her from sexual servitude to her husband. However, Chu Ming's lack of sexual experience proves problematic for herself as well as for Lord Wu, whose erotic tastes run to the unconventional. Meanwhile, Madame Wu makes the acquaintance of Danny Moran, an American missionary and doctor who is helping Feng Mo with his studies. Danny is kind, compassionate, and intelligent, and he makes a tremendous impression on Madame Wu, who soon finds herself falling for the mysterious American, because uh, you're American, as circumstances cause both her household and China to explode. Into chaos is what I would be saying if uh, this was an adaptation of the 2001 film Pavilion of Women starring Willem Dafoe, as well as a number of uh, uh, Chinese actors. Uh, instead, it's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a very sexy, uh, erotic man, <laughs> Danny Moran. That, that's me. That's how everyone thinks of me as, sexy, erotic man. So, on this episode, we review classic horror film, The Wicker Man. It's a film about a man who goes to an island, and then things get weird. And then we review Robert Eggers' follow-up to The Witch, The Lighthouse. It's a film about two men going to an island, and then things get weird. And I review controversial comedy Jojo Rabbit, in which a boy goes to a Hitler Youth camp, and things, I mean, are kind of weird, but only <laughs> because, like, we're not in that world. It's, it's normal relative to the, like, you know, late period Nazism, but it's, it's weird. It's, it's a weird film. Uh, plus, we catch up with some listener responses to our Midsummer review and discuss the later muted project from the Safdie brothers, all of which should leave me just enough time to pitch my latest idea for a film. It's about these two guys, and they go to a house, and they just start recording each other, and like, they release what they've recorded, and nobody's really listening, but they just keep on doing it. <laughs> and then, like, it's very rambly, and they try to edit it down so it sounds more professional, but it just does, it doesn't work. And what they're saying is just nonsense, and, th and then it gets weird. Yeah, I was waiting for it to get weird. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets weird. That's good. That's the bit. That's the hook. <laughs> that's the hook. Otherwise, that 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 concept would not sound very exciting. Yeah, but as long as it gets weird. Yeah, it gets weird. Okay, <laughs> good. Jojo Rabbit. This is directed by Taika Waititi and written by him as well. Could have said written directed by Taika Waititi. Decided to <laughs> say it that way. I'm definitely not reading this off a Wikipedia page. So it's about a little kid called Jojo and it's set in Germany in 1944 and he is a proud uh, young Nazi and he 
can't wait to go to the Hitler Youth Camp and like prove himself an Ubermensch or whatever. His mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is obviously very critical of the Nazis, but has to sort of keep stum about that to avoid, uh, you know, reprisals. And Jojo gets his nickname because he can't kill a rabbit. He doesn't have the killer instinct. He's all, you know, buoyed up. He's a he's a card-carrying member of the Nazi party, so much so that his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler, played by Taika Waititi, who wants to be a Nazi, but just doesn't have the killer instinct. His sort of Nazi principles are tested when he discovers <laughs> that Scarlett Hansen is harboring a young Jewish girl in that attic, played by Thomasin McKenzie, who was the star of Leave No Trace. Here's a clip of Jojo talking to his best friend, Adolf Hitler, played by the director himself, Taika Waititi. Poor Jojo. What's wrong, little man? Hi, Adolf. Want to tell me about that rabbit incident? What was all that about? They wanted me to kill it. I'm sorry. I couldn't. Don't worry about it. I couldn't care less. But now they call me a scared rabbit. Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. I'll let you in on a little secret. The rabbit is no coward. The humble little bunny faces a dangerous world every day, hunting carrots for his family, for his country. My empire will be full of all animals. Lions, giraffes, zebras, rhinoceroses, octopuses, rhinoctopuses, even the mighty rabbit. Cigarette? Oh, no thanks, I don't smoke. Let me give you some really good advice. Be the rabbit. The humble bunny can outwit all of his enemies. He's brave and sneaky and strong. Be the rabbit. So uh, this movie is quite controversial. Some people hate it. Some people think it's the film we need for our troubled times. I really didn't like it, uh, but not to the point, not, not to an insane amount. I think it's too inconsequential to get really worked up about. And I would describe it as a bit of a misfire, but that implies that it has like targets it's trying to hit. It's a very kind of wishy-washy film about how you just got to be nice. Hope is good. Don't hate people. Like people. Nazis are bad. I went in thinking that my my opinion on Nazis was pretty like, oh, you know, 50-50. But I watched this movie and I was like, you know what? Nazis are bad. I think the biggest problem is that it is so obsessed with being kind of cute and kind of quirky that it pulls its punches. And none of the Nazis in the movie are Nazis. His mom's not a Nazi. The like people who run the Hitler youth camp clearly think they're going to lose the war. They're not really committed to the ideology. The one like paid up Nazi dude is Stephen Merchant, who plays the leader of the Gestapo, but it's played by Stephen Merchant on full mugging form. So he has no real like menace. Is Hitler a Nazi? Yeah, Hitler's a Nazi, but like... There's no actual threat in the movie. There's yeah. no realism to, you know, this evil ideology. It's treated so whimsical that it has no bite. So the points it's trying to make about subverting it, it can't do because it's so lightweight. And the only Nazi in the movie is the little kid. He's the one who's, like, quoting it. Uh, but, you know, his journey from little innocent kid who's kind of parroting anti-Semitic stuff to little kid who think he decides not to do that is very unsurprising and quite, like... Uh, dull really like there's that's just not very interesting and i think there is a good idea at the heart of it which is about like blind obedience and uh, the absurdity of fascism like the way like jews are described are like you know these monsters who eat their children and stuff and it makes more sense that a kid just sort of buys this shit you mm. know what i mean like it's like the boogeyman like 
But uh, it's a bit like the kids' innocence is going to save us, but all the adults are already okay. None of the adults are Nazis. So it's like, we don't need the kids' innocence to lead us out of this trouble because everyone's always already realized this is a crock of shit. It's got a very irritating aesthetic, I would say. Taika Waititi is often compared, uh, compared to Wes Anderson, and it's got that sort of uh, pastel colors, 60s needle drops, uh, a bit over-stylized, and I found it just very irritating. And it also means that it kind of commits to this tone when like bad things happen. It just feels very unearned. There's like a, a particularly sort of nasty bit in the middle, and it's a bit like, what the fuck movie? Like, you have not earned this. And I think it would make a bit more sense, this aesthetic, if it was more explicitly from the point of view of Jojo, which I think is what, in design, it was going for, because like he has this imaginary friend, and it's like a sort of... A child doesn't quite understand what's going on, view of World War II, where he's going to like camp and stuff. But the perspective of the film is too, is too directed. It's too obviously Taika Waititi's world, not the kids' world. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that doesn't work at all. I think the child actors are very good. Uh, the fact that it's so cute and you don't want to kill Jojo by the end, I think is testament to this young actor, Roman Griffin June. Pretty cool name. He's very good. And Thomasine McKenzie, who is excellent in Leave No Trace, is also very good here. I found it very unfunny. The basic joke is like funny Nazis. But, like, the concept of, like, a funny Nazi is as old as Nazis themselves. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of the jokes are like, they're at a camp, but the camp is run by Nazis. You know, so they're, like, cheering things which are anti-Semitic. It's like, it's one joke. It's like, this would be wholesome were it not for the fact they were Nazis. Yeah. And that hits a point of diminishing returns almost instantly, yeah. I would say. <laughs> and, yeah, like, I don't really know. It's like... Maybe I'm reacting to how the film was marketed, but it was like marketed as like an anti-hate satire, but there's there's nothing satirical about it. Yeah, satire needs a target. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm not really sure what you're supposed to get out of the movie. It's too artificial to be engaging. Mm. They're not real people. And it, I don't know, it kind of just, whatever punches it has, it pulls. It reminded me a lot of Grand Best Budapest Hotel, which is an excellent film about Nazism, which manages to be a comedy and kind of lighthearted. But I think that Wes Anderson thing, often he's accused of being a bit too much of a stylist and that criticism is very valid at times. But his movies, when they're good, have such kind of pathos to them that it kind of gets away with it. But I don't think Taika Waititi can do the balancing act nearly as well. And it kind of comes a bit unstuck here. Yeah, I mean, Wes Anderson's movies almost all feature characters who are like suicidal or depressed. Yeah. And uh, he's kind of honed that particular tone over the course of his whole career. They're all about like miserable people and the existence of death and genuine uh, threats and um, very serious subject matter around the kind of uh, whimsy, you know, element is something that um, uh, I'm like, it's kind of to to taste, I would say. But he does it. He does it very successfully in Grand Budapest Hotel. And that's I mean, that's a film in which like there aren't really like Nazis are kind of in the film, but it's not really about like Nazis, you know. Well, it's, it's more like, about the victims. Yeah, um, I remember like I think Damon Wise describes Dodging Limited as like a whole with a film around it, but like in Grand Budapest and in uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, the whole is like World War Two, and also the fact that it's like Zubrov, it's like a sort of fake che- Czechoslovakia. It's like one step removed. Yeah, but the lead is about an immigrant and a like bisexual guy, and he like represents civilization in a way you know he's sort of so polite and well-mannered in the face of anything and like it's all about him on the run and then he dies and then 
like i don't know it's like the more allegorical way it seems to be a much smarter way of doing it but when it's just like literally nazi germany but it's nazi germany but it's fun with slow motion and like the beatles version of uh i want to hold your hand in germany and stuff yeah in germany it's like well there's a lot there's a lot in the grand budapest hotel about like beautiful things that are, are, are lost you know yeah. it's all about kind of memories and people looking back and like it's an it's quite an interesting taken on like sacrifice and uh, and you know what could have been and all that all that kinds of thing like the, the things that war does like it's all this beautiful stuff that is like destroyed and you yeah know, and che- chewed up by war and that kind of thing um and yeah it sounds like jj robert doesn't really have that angle i mean and in 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 so far as it's um targeted at i it, as a as a contemporary story you know an anti-hate satire or in some way a reaction to uh, rising nationalism and uh, uh right-wing uh, xenophobia and, you know quasi-fascism or, or whatever's going on uh politically um did you did did you find any kind of articulation that felt like it had a contemporary resonance or um because if i was you know doing a sort of anti-fascist film like or at least one about about someone who is you know brainwashed or part of it. Then then I would imagine it would in, incorporate um, an an argument for why it's appealing, you know, yeah, or or some kind of thing of like how it grows in society. Or I mean, does it have that, or is it or is it just no, no, the Nazis this, are just this cartoons? This is my point about like how the Nazism isn't really like portrayed in an accurate way. Yeah, it's just like a, it's just the just the uniforms. You right, know, the right. The whole yeah. movie's so shallow. I don't know what the comparison would be. Is it like about a sort of young kid who's on YouTube too much and he becomes a Nazi or whatever? But by his by this point in the movie, there are no Jews left in Germany, you know, yeah. basically. So like, what's his big... You know what I mean? Like the argument for like, oh, the Jews are ruining anything. Like the Jews aren't there anymore. So the basis of the thing doesn't really... It's very strange, it really. Like a cuddly film about Nazis is kind of odd. Yeah. I just think it's a bit... Just a bit shit. It's a real like it's a fucking Lib Dem movie. Whereas, you know, it's it's like mealy mouth, meaningless. It's all fine. It's good. Uh, whatever. You just got to get that in. We're radical now, so so you got to dis. You got to compare everything bad yeah. to the Lib Dem. I bet Joe Swenson fucking <laughs> loved this movie. Um, yeah. No, it sounds it sounds much like the movie I, I feared it would be. I'm actually going to see it this evening, so I'll be able to. All right. Repeat your I views. I don't quite get Taika Waititi. I think people have decided he's like this like amazing auteur. Which I just don't think he is. I think he is quite. He can be pretty funny. Yeah, I think like he's, there's there's some funny there's funny stuff in Thor Ragnarok and in what we do in the shadows and Hunt for the Water People has funny moments in it. But he's he's obviously got a strong streak of sentimentality, which a bit twee. And, and and mawkishness. He's very twee, um, and I think that that can that can be very annoying. So I think like Hunt for the Water People was definitely a film that swung between things I thought were working really well and then things that were just kind of corny and lame. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, it's, I think probably the most disappointing thing to hear about the movie is that it's not funny because you would hope that he would at least, yeah, you know, do that. I just, uh, I don't know. Didn't, didn't like the shtick. It was kind of sort of mining. A little break now in the show Cause Danny has to blow his nose And Sam is trying on different clothes and Katie's cooking sausage rolls I think they're almost done And now they're definitely done, 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 done. So we've got a bit of uh, listener pushback on our 
negative comments about Midsummer. Should have seen this coming. It's a very well received movie, and uh, people are you know partly asking us to review it because you know because they like the film. Uh, and we gave it a rather negative review, I would say. I think I liked it a little better than you, but yeah. um, we weren't hugely enamored with it. So Georgia got in touch with me to complain about about us not liking the film well enough. Um, she uh, pointed out so a, cu- a couple of things. I think I think that the the the, the correspondence we received made made some reasonable points. So um, one thing that she identified, well, we 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 dissed the boyfriend character as being um, yeah. overly kind of bland and inert. And she pointed out that he felt uh, extremely real. And I think that is a that is a fair point. She says, I, f- I felt like I'd met him, like when he makes excuses for his friends instead of taking their side. I think it is worth saying that the portrayal of the relationship in Midsummer does ring true. I think that's something that the film does do successfully. And as a depiction of a sort of believably bad boyfriend, you know, yeah. I, I thought that worked. I just didn't necessarily feel like it, you know, was dramatically... Sure. Fully interesting for the whole the whole course of the movie. She also said that it, it gave her a horrific feeling of dread, which took her days to shake. And she put down the fact that I didn't uh, have that response to the fact that I, I watched it on my phone. So maybe I was not uh, immersed. Watch it on your phone? Yeah. Mate. Well, Watch it on a TV. A big old TV. A big TV. Big TV. But it, I held the phone close to my face, so <laughs> it was taking up a lot of my vision. Sure. As much as it's, it's basically the same. Gotcha. I'm a I'm a I'm a modern view I'm the modern viewer. Sure, sure. You know, that's how everyone's watching the movies these days. Like, have you really seen The Irishman if you haven't seen it on like a three inch screen? Good point. Also, uh, Tom Andrews uh, got in touch to to offer his own take on the film. He uh, too liked it a lot better um, than we did, and uh, for him, it was less a movie about a breakup, and it was more a film um, that was about kind of exploring the nature of grief and family and the way that in the Swedish commune that they sort of travel to in the movie, they have a totally different logic and rules around how you deal with grief, uh, how people um, determine their own identities, how they relate to others around them. And this, um, particularly because like a couple of the characters are anthropology students uh, and that the the film is kind of exploring um, the extremes of of what happens when you kind of re-articulate yeah. those standard relationships from you know what you're used to um and i think that is, that is a fair point that's clearly in the film I, I feel like i could you could write a very interesting essay about those themes and how they are represented in the film yeah. but that i didn't i i didn't feel that the dramatic like they weren't successfully dramatized for me well actually i've done a 180 in my opinion I really now you love that. it <laughs> no no i sort of uh i uh i concur but um I mean, it's still like shit, though, isn't it? Like, it's still shit. <laughs> it's like you know, the boyfriend felt real. Films aren't real, you know. They got a. It's like I watched a film. It felt very real. That's not a good reason to watch a film. <laughs> That'd be my response. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I think it's worth you know, it's worth it's worth um, highlighting things that the movie was doing that we were not necessarily acknowledging. Although I didn't change my opinion about the film. If anything, it's I doubled down it, strengthened it. Doubled it. Yeah, I, dou- I doubled it, in doubled fact. It. I have twice the opinion now. But yeah, no, thanks, thanks. I mean, we did explicitly ask for people to, yeah. to, to write we, and say what they like to say. We need some more correspondence. You know, we're just like throwing our opinions out there. We need people to, we need a little, a little pushback once in a while. Keep us in line. Absolutely. Pushback is healthy. Um, you, don't, don't, you can't take our babblings as, uh, you know, 
That's something to rely upon. Of course not. You need to be challenged once in a while to keep you grounded, keep it, you humble. Yeah. We're about to we're about to go stratospheric with this BFI quiz that we're doing. I know. So we're going to be pretty big headed after that. I'm already pretty big headed. Um, <laughs> my girlfriend's we've been already complaining got... about the way I've been conducting myself <laughs> around the flat. Too arrogant. Yeah, too arrogant. Yeah. Just full of yourself. Yeah. You're lording lording it over. A yeah, bit. making her do stuff for me. You know, like. Do you, do you say stuff like, oh, you should be grateful to be with me? Yeah, Things you like should that. be. I wake up and I like, shake her awake and I'm like... You're welcome. You're, wel- you're welcome. <laughs> and, then I, like, and then I just make a cup of tea. For yourself. For myself, yeah. yeah. And then you're like, I had to make this. <laughs> yeah. Get up. Yeah, I've become a real, real cunt, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, uh, please to our listeners, send, send in some more uh, critiques. Please. We need that guy. Who's that guy on our, um, on our Facebook page who was... Uh, pretty cutting about our, our review of Roma. Yeah, that guy. Where is he going? Hey, need that guy back. Listen, guy. Come you? back. Come back. Keep us grounded. Danny's relationship needs it. I know. Hangs by a thread. <laughs> a thread. <laughs> he needs to develop more humility. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. Sam, remember Pee Wee Herman? Remember Pee Wee Herman? Do you remember Pee Wee Herman, Sam? I have some vague, <laughs> I have some vague uh, idea of the image of Pee Wee Herman, the bow tie and the uh, slick back hair and the you know the general doll esque appearance. Exactly. That's about all. That's it, all I know about Pee Wee. Well, Herman. he was a big deal in the eighties, and we weren't born then. So Paul Rubin created this character, Pee Wee Herman, and he was basically like Elmo, but a human being. He was like you know a sort of childlike naivete, and he got into trouble and got in adventures and learned messages and he was you know pure of heart and he would basically just be fine it was like paddington or something yeah exactly like a sort of creepy paddington creepy fucking paddington <laughs> and he had a number of successful tv shows and also had a few big film uh, big films he had a few big films peewee uh, herman films probably the most famous of his peewee herman's big adventure which is the one directed by a young timurn in the mid 80s and a few years ago, he attempted to sort of relaunch the character with a Netflix film called Pee-wee's Big Holiday, which was a similar thing about, you know, gets to the adventures, learns le- lessons, is good. But he's, uh, he's like 40 years old now. He's old, but I don't know. He always had a doll-like appearance. So I guess if you just put enough foundation on, he can still play the character. But apparently what he wanted to do was actually a dark movie where he took the Pee Wee Herman character and really used it in a way which is opposite to everything that's been done before and also his target demographic. And he described it, Paul Rubens described it as a sort of Valley of the Dolls Pee Wee Herman movie, uh, which he pitched to Judd Apatow, who ended up producing his Netflix movie, and Judd Apatow turned him down. But he is not uh, deterred. They were like, how about a light Pee Wee Herman film? the thing people like you for doing <laughs> Um, and now, apparently, he's fully committed to bringing his dark film to fruition. Um, it's got a low budget, apparently. Only 15 million. That's important. Only a 15 million budget. And he has apparently approached uh, Uncut Gems and Good Time directors, the Safdie brothers. And they, apparently, are interested. So rather than being a whimsical, you know, little Pee Wee Herman going about on his bike, meeting friends, it's going to be an intense, uh, pulsating, anxiety-inducing Roller coaster through the streets of New York as Pee Wee Herman, you know. Well, here's here's what it's supposed to be about. Pee Wee emerges from prison to become an unlikely yodeling star. Doesn't sound that dark. Then moves to Hollywood and becomes a movie star. Still seems light enough. Then he develops a severe pill and alcohol addiction that turns him into a monster. Oop. 
there, yeah. there we go. There's that's the dark. Good. That's the dark bit. That's that's when you bring the Safties in. Yeah. You have Judd Apatow for the first half of the movie, shoot all the good stuff, uh, then then you ch- the fire Apatow, get in the Safties. I mean, this does sound like a bit of a slight kind of Mad Libs, uh, you know, film Twitter headline. It's like ah. Uh, uh, Barney, it's like when Daniel Kalia is producing the Barney the Dinosaur uh, movie. It's like, sure, the Safdie brothers. I mean, nothing about their filmography suggests Pee Wee Herman, but sure, why not? I well, mean, they've made films about addiction. They've made films about addiction. So I guess, uh, <laughs> and compulsive behavior, so, you know. Uh, you know, films set in prison. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds a little bit like Paul Rubens is kind of bored of his own character, but he doesn't have any other kind of capital to draw upon yeah. you know so he's got to make the movie he really wants to make but with Pee Wee Herman it's, the, <laughs> it's got to be the main character in order to get this like project off the ground because so he was a he was a childlike character yeah he's like Elmo or Paddington and, or and whatever the, and the know. standard trajectory for child stars is that they you know are, are screwed up by fame and yeah, absolutely and and uh, develop addictions and become become messed up people so I guess like that. That's, that tracks. That, that tracks. That's what's ha- that's what's happening to Pee Wee, Pee Wee, yeah. Pee Wee, old man. Morning, Pee Wee. Little Francis. Today is my birthday, and my father said I can have anything I want. Good for you and your father. So guess what I want? A new brain. No, your bike. <laughs> oh, what's so funny, Pee Wee? Not for sale, Francis. My father says everything's negotiable. Pee-wee. I wouldn't sell my bike for all the money in the world. Not for a hundred billion million trillion dollars. Then you're crazy. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? 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 Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak? Or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. The Lighthouse. 
the new film by Robert Eggers, who also directed the uh, very well-received horror movie The Witch. This stars Robert Pattinson as Ephraim Winslow, a very young man in the late 19th century who um, is out to become a lighthouse keeper um, or help out on working on the lighthouse under the tutelage of the uh, older, more established lighthouse keeper, Thomas Wake, who's played by Willem Dafoe. The whole movie is shot in a very crisp and beautiful looking black and white. It's in this kind of square aspect ratio, which is very singular. And the, the whole thing is suffused with a kind of fantastical tone of, of dread um, and, and weirdness. It's a weird film. Not many people who see this movie won't be describing it as weird. Here is a clip. We saw this at London Film Festival. Hotly anticipated movie. Uh, I haven't seen The Witch, but you didn't like it. I've seen it. It's good, right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, got to catch up on on that movie. I uh, I thoroughly enjoy this. It's got a incredibly strong aesthetic. They had an idea about what they wanted to do. <laughs> Every single thing in the film is in service of this one mood and uh, feeling of time and place. Um, and it's got a you know a passion project kind of feel to it yeah um in a way that is just kind of enjoyable it's like this is what this guy is really into you know <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously fascinated by this like uh yeah i think the the strongest thing about it is like the dialogue like i think the story uh if i was gonna go straight to what i think is a weakness the story's sure. in much cop because i don't really understand what it is like two men go to a place and it all goes a bit weird um, goes a bit weird goes a bit weird but it's like similar to the witch which had like this amazing pilgrim jacobean dialogue and you know i'm not much of a history buff but like it just felt very authentic and i like, really lent into the language of the time this feels like a sort of guy who's read a lot of melville and like he's really sort of done his research or at least maybe he hasn't but whatever sort of language he does talk about yeah and like uh, interviews and stuff he talks about how much research he did it's very research heavy. And like, yeah, the standout scenes are like these like long, dense monologues, which are kind of just brilliant. It's kind of just like winding the actors up and just like go. And yeah, I just def- definitely enjoyed just like the aesthetic of the movie. Like there's it's so much atmosphere. It's like, it's as thick as Willem Dafoe's beard. Everything's <laughs> like, everything's dialed up to 11 in terms of like creaking shadows, sound design. The sort of blasting <laughs> horn of the of the lighthouse that comes occasionally. Yeah, a lot of farting in it, a lot of scatological humour. Uh, I, I loved all that stuff. Uh, I think Willem Dafoe's like, it's, he's got like the, the kind of scene-stealing part. He must have like, I can see why he like took this on. It's like, all I have to do is basically sort of kind of 
cranky little goblin man who like delivers <laughs> like dead small logs and just basically is like mean to Robert Pattinson the whole movie. And he basically just... sounds exactly like the sea captain from The Simpsons as well. Yeah, he and says it... "ye" all the time, and um, it's just it's just glorious. I don't know, it's just so much value for money. Um, he's uh... the, he's the kind of heart and soul of the film for me. I didn't think like he is doing such an uh, unbelievable job, and it's so captivating watching him chew up every scene with such relish. I, I didn't find Robert Pattinson quite as um, uh, quite as captivating, yeah. but maybe he just you know he, his the task he's faced with is simply too tall in the face of what Defoe's doing here. Yeah, it's a much harder thing for him to do, really, because I don't know. I feel like William Defoe can just yeah. I mean, like, in a way, that is the dynamic of the characters in the film as well. Yeah, that he, that he is trying to live up to the the, the very the sort of demands of this taskmaster kind of lighthouse keeper who's this very creepy and an odd uh, figure who's always yelling at him. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of, like, I don't know, something like There Will Be Blood, where, like, one person's doing such, like, insane performance that the other person can't really do anything except, like, try and just about survive the film without yeah. being, like, blown <laughs> over by it. Like, but I don't know what his, the direction was to Willem Dafoe, like, more. I don't know. Like, it feels like he was really, like, he's, you know, he did it all. It's he spent, did it. <laughs> like, by the yeah. end of the film. It has, um, yeah, and, and as well as the mood, the, the sort of interplay between the characters is where, like, a lot of the, the fun comes from. And it's one of those movies that promises that things are going to have to get pretty frenzied by the end in order to sort of justify the whole thing. Like, yeah. it's got this small setting, very intense atmosphere, and you know that it's going to tear itself apart, you know? Like, yeah. that there, there, is, there is only one way for this film to go, and it's bigger. Um, and uh, that, that is always satisfying when films sort of, uh, uh, you know, they promise something that's, like, weird and intense and creepy, and it's going to go places, and it, and it very much does so. I think it's just, I, I kind of luxuriated in the sort of richness of it. It's a highly allegorical fairy tale esque uh, story, which evokes uh, big themes, you know, capital B, capital T. Like, it's obviously, you know, about man and God and <laughs> yeah, sex yeah. and death and all that kind of stuff, which basically means it's not really about anything. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I think that that is fine. It's sort of um, reveling in symbolism for its own sake. I don't think that the director has a really strong take on, like, the relationship between man and God and the sea. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, he doesn't really care about that. Like, what he cares about is just simply the joy of telling this um, this kind of story with this kind of symbolism. Like, the aesthetic is very much the point. It's in this sort of heightened and fantastical world. Uh, and the actors and the directors are um, co- co- all in. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's nothing more that they could have done to... Uh, uh, to to bring this thing together, um, and so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for that reason. I read one review that it was that was critical of it as being um, basically very self-important, and uh, uh, the reviewer was comparing it to like film students, sort of like pretentious film student movies, like uh, film kids. Like it's always in black and white, and yeah, you yeah. Know, everything means something else, and it's all sort of very clever, clever, and it's very masculine. And if there's a woman in it, she's going to be naked. Uh, which is true of this movie because yeah. <laughs> there's a naked mermaid in it. Um, but I think that that, uh, I didn't feel to me that the film was too self-important because there's, yeah. a, there's such a strong strain of humor in it that I, I felt like made sure that it didn't get too pretentious. And it's just like, um, uh, it, it's just about the, like, it's very fun, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And also you just feel like the movie has worked hard enough to like get away with it. Yeah. You know, like he's, you know, he didn't just like turn up. He's like, I want to set a movie set on a rock. He's like, I've read 400 books about it or whatever. You know, you really feel that commitment to it behind it. I don't know. You just, I don't know, just have to have a good time. 
it's so it, it, maybe there's comparison with midsummer and there's like a lot of like it's about process there's a lot of like you know feeding the furnaces and uh changing the stuff and polishing the lamp and it's all about it's all about upkeep all these like rituals and then it like goes increasingly nuts yeah but just <laughs> I think maintaining a lighthouse is more interesting than like under this festival. Like, they definitely, they definitely have a similar thing of these like obsessive directors who have created everything and they want you to know. Yeah. Like they, they, they wanted to build, I don't think they quite succeeded, but they practically built the whole lighthouse for the movie. Yeah. So like almost everything in the film is like a constructed set. It's kind of shot on location, but they built everything and uh, which allows them to, you know, yeah. go, go, uh, go crazy with it. It's definitely like, a director's like second movie i feel like he's like he had a hair it's, it's got like, a bit more money a bit more money it's yeah. like okay well before they'd never let me do this again i'm gonna make my man lighthouse movie <laughs> and it's just kind of fun yeah, so, yeah. I, I hope i hope that it does well and i would yeah encourage people it's already in the uh, imdb top 250 oh wow really you gotta hand it to the twihards you know they, they back their guy yeah <laughs> thanks to all of the rock Pattinson fans out there yeah i i would yeah i would caution against uh reading too much into the film you know, or seeing it as a profound film. Yeah, just have a couple of beers. Just have a couple of beers and go see it. I think it probably it's a popcorn movie, really. Yeah, kind yeah. of disguised as like an art film. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush. Speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. So last week when we reviewed Midsummer, we mentioned that it's uh, very strongly um, influenced by the classic British horror film The Wicker Man uh, which I had not seen and it's sort of a recurring thing on this show that there's like a lot of gaps in my in my filmography you know sometimes I bump into like film guys and and uh, and you know it comes up that I I do this film podcast and then they start coming out with all this stuff and I just haven't seen it yeah and I'm like why do I have the podcast you should have it Godfather what like raging what the godfather Darcy was that some sort of religious home? film <laughs> um uh and uh so i'm just taking the opportunity to try to try to patch things up you know 207 episodes in it's time that i become a, a buff yeah i need to buff myself Absolutely. until i'm shining with film knowledge good, so good, good metaphor <laughs> thanks um so i i i went, went back and uh Checked out The Wicker Man, made in 1973, directed by Robin Hardy. This is basically his only famous film. He did, like, a sequel to The Wicker Man. And then, the like, tree, and The Wicker Tree, and then planned, like, another film. Which we covered on this podcast wrath many, many gods. moons ago. <laughs> the, the Wrath of the Gods. It was about, like, a kind of theme park or something. Theme park based on the Norse gods. <laughs> Everything was made out of Wicker. <laughs> I don't think anything was made out of Wicker, but... He just loves Wicker. He loves it. He loves to make things out of Wicker. Um... And uh, it stars Edward Woodward. He plays a uh, Scottish policeman who's sent to this, uh, or he takes it upon himself to go to this remote Scottish island of Summerisle to investigate um, a missing uh, young girl and encounters the odd inhabitants who have their own religion and are pretty strange characters who all claim to have never heard of this uh, girl who was missing. Um, most famous actor among them being Christopher Lee, who plays Lord Summerisle, the kind of top dog of the island. Um, here is a clip. Silly girl you have to make all this fuss. It's just a little frog. It'll do that poor soul throat good. Now anyone would think you didn't want to get better. Now, in he goes. And out he comes. There. Now that didn't hurt much. 
touched it. Tasted about it. Never mind, darling. It's all over now. Here's your sweet for being a brave girl. Come on, which one would you like? There. He's got your horrid old sore throat now, hasn't he, poor creature? Can't you hear him croaking? Can I do anything for you, Sergeant? Oh, I doubt it. Seeing you're all raving mad. Well, it's all a bit weird on that island, Sam. So weird. So weird. It's so weird there. Things have got weird there. Uh... I, I loved it. I can see why it's a classic. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's really I, I good, do, isn't I it? do not have a contrarian take on this film. I'm not coming to it. You know, it's like, why do people love this piece of crap? This makes Midsummer look like a work of genius. Um, no, I really, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I actually caught a little bit um, of the movie on TV a little while ago and was immediately drawn into it. I was just loving what it was doing instantly. Um, the whole mood and tone of the film is uh, quite unlike a lot of horror films, I think. Yeah. Horror movies are often very carefully staged and choreographed films. And this is another thing that um, links um, The Lighthouse and uh, Midsummer. You can probably argue about whether The Lighthouse is a horror movie, but it's got horror elements in it, certainly. And uh, But they're both films that are, that are incredibly carefully constructed. They build tension in this very deliberate, managed way. And they're sort of, you know, playing the audience like a fiddle. And they're just trying to create moments of shock. And, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. the craft of filmmaking is such an intrinsic part of horror movies. Because so much of it is like about evoking a particular mood and atmosphere in your audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, like above and beyond just, you know, telling a story or a plot or whatever. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and in, in The Wicker Man, it doesn't really have that feel to it. And I, I it feels... You know, I'm not saying the movie wasn't carefully made, but which it obviously was. But it's like rather than fitting like your there's this kind of prowling camera and this slow build of tension that you're following this guy around. The the movie has the sort of loose and eccentric quality of the inhabitants of the island. Yeah, like there's there's lots of like shots of just like you know the houses or like cutaways to animals or and and like a, a, like bursts of folk music which seems really perfectly innocent and actually sounds quite nice yeah, yeah i think if you just listen to the soundtrack to the wicker man you wouldn't even know it was a horror film yeah, for yeah. the most part yeah, yeah. <laughs> like some of the folk songs in it are really good i was like i was just kind of enjoy this kind of like pastoral and uh uh kind of nice like there's quite a funny a uh, couple of scenes when he's um uh, tossing and turning in his bed in the inn and they're all downstairs in the pub singing like a folk song and he's like he can't sleep because of the folk song but it's like quite a chilled out song like <laughs> it's the kind of thing that you really could fall asleep to. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's not like they're kind a of lullaby <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh, but i think it's so it's so effective to the mood of the film because it kind of makes it feel like the film itself is not on your side you know yeah, yeah. you don't really have the perspective of the film the film's perspective is the one of the people it's yeah. a bit like they made the movie yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, that's so, so um heightened by uh there's such an unbelievably stark contrast uh with the you know ostensible protagonist of the film well he is the protagonist of the film but like it feels like the movie itself is working against him and uh, he's not just a sort of audience surrogate who's going to this island and like gawping at the the, the bizarre rituals and rites of um, these weird pagans. But he's like a fundamentalist Christian who who just hates it much more extremely than I guess most audience members sure. would. So while you're watching the film and people act and or do odd things or like they sort of like it's naked people or they're just sort of having sex in some strange place, then you'll be like, oh, that's a bit, you know, I'd probably be uncomfortable. Whereas he is like yelling at them and shouting at them because he's like <laughs> so disgusted by it. Um, and the, the the strength of that contrast is just a very effective mechanism. Um, and, but I think that it's also uh, 
uh, very um, impressive that it doesn't devolve into a sort of sketch comedy. I mean, it's kind of like a fish out of water story, you know? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. The, the uptight, um, sexually repressed Christian policeman, like, there's there's two things about him that are incredibly, like, buttoned up, you know, being a policeman and being a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, him encountering, like, odd village folk as they, like, embarrass him by talking about penises and stuff, like, could easily be just a comedy or, like, yeah, yeah. it could just, like, be silly. And it really nails this, like, uneasiness you know it's just off enough like it's creepy enough uh with without seeming overdone but also without the end of the film which is you know very famous uh and like quite bombastic seeming like it comes out of nowhere yeah. like by the end you just it's like yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> uh, and, and it, it also makes sense the way the movie ends because because of that sense you get that the the film is sort of taking the side of the the villagers rather than than his side so it's like it's almost like what the film is thinking that the movie is about is like this nice town and they have this lovely way of life and this horrible brutish violent policeman comes in and disrupts it and then like yeah, yeah. gets what he deserves you know <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like the, the film's a trap and uh yeah exactly yeah um christopher lee is also brilliant in the film he is someone who's done a lot of, he did a lot of hammer horror but it's not a hammy performance it's a um he basically plays it very straight He's like the um, uh, he's sort of the ruler of the island. It seems like his word is law, essentially. He, he lives in this unbelievably big castle, like this hilariously big castle. And um, uh, but if it wasn't for his, uh, you know, pagan views, he would come across as just, you know, any kind of uh, self-assured rich guy. He's, yeah. He kind of acts like a schoolmaster. Um, and uh, when he's having his uh, exchanges with Edward Woodward he just seems like the more reasonable one he's got that he just exudes that um, kind of privileged self-assurance of, uh, of the rich person but he's not like it's not sort of hammy menacing role you yeah, know? Yeah. he's just like a bit of a quirky like rich dude and it's only his beliefs that kind of set him apart as uh, you know evil or or, um, or scary and yeah I just I, I loved what it was doing it was so it was such a well-told little thing like doesn't outstay its welcome and uh, the ending just works brilliantly and it's so quintessentially British I think that's what's so great about it it's a horror movie well like, this is the it thing it wouldn't I, work in any other culture when like, I when I um the thing that it most immediately reminded me of when I when I came on TV and started watching it was Monty Python yeah that sort of kind of British eccentric character yeah just felt very Python-esque to me and um uh, but it's turned here to like horror rather than like comedic purposes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounds rather vague just to be like, it's so British and not really articulate exactly what that consists of. But that is something that I felt quite strongly as well. Well, it's a combination of like the sort of pagan thing. I think British horror is like we're this old land and like there's just this it's Stonehenge and it's there's this weird stuff going on. We live on ley lines and this is an old country and, you know, this used to be elf country and, you know, go yeah. and steal your babies in the night or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. As opposed to, I don't know, America is all about, like, it's built on a graveyard. It's a new country. Like, there's blood in the soil. Whereas, like, there's something a bit more occultish about British horror. Yeah, so yeah. That reflects that, the culture. And also, it's cheap, like, but... something about the way, like, towns are organized. There's, like, the scenes in pubs and stuff. You don't, like... You know, in American movies, they don't all go to the bar in the same way. They go to it's not the same kind of hub mm. of like a I don't know. Some of the way society is uh, ordered. Yeah, this is very British. Like, yeah, it felt so. Like, that is a vague explanation to your question. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I know what you're getting at. I think that it's the 
it's definitely that that depiction of small town life just rings really true and the sense of community just you know it feels very authentic and um if it wasn't for the uh naked antics and cavorting all the time and like you know pagan rituals uh it just it, it would just seem like a normal town yeah. it, it, it you could you could very easily say how you could convert um this movie into a into a sort of harmless comedy basically yeah in well, which the like nicholas cage one is sort of a comedy like right but like you would just take out the set the sacrifice at the end you yeah. take out like there's some kind of like more overt like horrific things that they do on the island and it's just like about you know this like policeman who and rubbing up against the beliefs of the town and that would be yeah, you it's know like so many it's like doc martin or something yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly it's just doc martin it's like a, a sunday night itv drama yeah i also found it i mean this isn't like really making any kind of point but it was just something that occurred to me while watching the movie is that like this film has the opposite ending to dogville it's like dogville but the opposite yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i don't know Maybe last one chair watch Wicker Man. He's like, like, what if the other, the exact opposite thing happened? Yeah, um, yeah. That'd be a good double bill. It actually would be a pretty, <laughs> a pretty good double bill. Yeah, two fish out of water comedies about a person who just doesn't fit into their little town. Um, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I so mean, most people listening to this have probably seen the Wicker Man, and it's me who hasn't. But yeah, definitely a recommendation. I don't. I don't. You know, I just what, thought it was great. What classic movie are you going to watch next? Maybe we should put, you know, we week, were, like, we were just saying that, you know, we, we are looking for more listener feedback. So maybe we should take petitions. Yeah. So if, if you, if you listener have any idea about a film that you'd like, you know, me to see <laughs> <laughs> that I haven't seen, I guess like that's the only criteria. You don't know what movies I haven't seen. Obviously it would be impossible <laughs> for me to list them. But uh, if you'd like to hear us discuss a movie in particular, then um, mention it. And if I, ha- I won't talk about it if I've seen the film, but if I haven't seen the film. Uh, I'll watch it and we'll discuss it. I've seen all the films, and so. Danny's seen all the films. So <laughs> yeah. don't 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 suggest anything to him. It would be pointless. He'll even films it. that you yourself have made. I've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> Got this sort of weird power to see every film. Yes, it's a really it's a really crap. You know, it's the worst X Men power. I've just seen all the films. That's pretty good power. Oh, you're like Apocalypse from X Men Apocalypse. He's yeah. seen all the films. Yeah, but without the sort of like godlike powers, <laughs> I've just seen a lot of films. <laughs> you didn't like touch the TV and go. <laughs> Learning. learning learning all right so yeah watch that movie i hear it's like an acclaimed film already and most people have seen it but now it's got the imprimatur of you know the stamp of approval from me Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat have a cup of tea maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at right that's enough now back to film chat Sam, next week, it's big news because Parasite is finally in UK cinemas. I'm stoked, man. Can't wait to see Parasite. I saw this uh, piece today, which is basically like the Oscars need Parasite more than Parasite need the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> like it's sort of That's cultural footprint has become so large and it's become so acclaimed that like not just giving it all the awards, you just seem like really lame and uncool now. So it's like, I don't know. He's kind of conquered Twitter, I think, Bong Joon-ho. Have you been following like uh, like Dad Bong? No, what basically, is that? like every award show because they're doing like this sort of award circuit and Parasite is scooping up awards everywhere. And like Bong Joon Ho is just like filming the whole thing on his iPhone. Every time there's a shot of him, it's just him filming. He's like <laughs> just like this sort of excited dad, just filming everything. He's like Instagramming it. Yeah, and people are like, "Is this going to become a film? The next Bong Joon Ho film will just be his like press tour for Parasite." Anyway, that's out. Also, uh, the man who killed Don Quixote, which I watched. Uh, 
a year and a half ago at the London Film Festival. Finally coming the, out. Yeah, the two, uh, the 2018 London Film Festival, I saw it. Guess who I was sat two seats away from? Tom Hooper. Probably in pre-production on Cats. <laughs> and he had a cat on his lap. And actually, he was just like meowing the entire movie. <laughs> He'd been to cat school. And he, yeah. he had this weird way of walking and... Yeah. He was, um, he was constantly rubbing his little mouth with his hands. It's not it's not very good, but I'll, you know, I'll, You'll explain I'll, why. I'll expand upon that <laughs> review into, you know. Yeah. Okay, cool. I would definitely I would definitely see Parasite. Um reminder to everybody that Uncut Gems out on Netflix now. So watch that if you haven't if you haven't yet seen it. It's on Netflix. Just just watch it. Just watch, watch that. Watch it, mate. And otherwise, just have a great time doing and just being you. Just doing what you just, do. Just do what you do. Okey doke. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Let's do it. So I was expecting pretty special things from this, and was when I sat down to watch it, and I've seen it twice now. I saw it at the London Film Festival in October last year, mm-hmm. and again last night. I was aghast at what I saw. People genuinely are walking around thinking that Jews are horns and scales. And smell like Brussels sprouts. You know, this is not ten-year-old child thinking that. And that's this is I no, think. no, no. But not, not just no. Not just the ten-year-old child. There is one instance of loss which is handled so mawkishly. It involves oh, CGI. your heart was like involves, missing that day. It involves a CGI butterfly. To me, it's like a total satirical dereliction of duty, dismally removed from Taika Waititi's world. Oh, I just hugely disagree with you. I, just, I see this. I mean, for me, this is my like two minutes point of view about this film. This is a story told through a child's eyes in terms of it's kind of relating to how easy children can be misguided and how love is something that can almost kind of penetrate that and pull them out of it. Be that from your mother or be that from this person that you see first and foremost as being an enemy that through sheer pers- perseverance from this friendship that develops they can pull someone out with that or kind of like how almost kind of good can oversee evil that's what I got from that I thought it was a beautifully brilliant funny poignant story told perfectly by the way thank okay. you and good night hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.